Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy, the TDN Podcast. Fantasy Podcast. With your host, Paige Demakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. Welcome into the TDN Fantasy Podcast, Paige Demakos, Jake Arians, and Jamie Eisner. And since Monday's podcast, there's been two head coaching job uh, vacancies filled. We've got a couple of coordinators that have gotten jobs. We got more speculation about what the hell is going on in Cleveland as they are now the lone soldier waiting to figure out who is going to lead this team in the future. We're going to talk about Brady and Breeze because the two guys that we've gotten used to watching for a long period of time, Tom Brady put out an Instagram post about thanking the fans and and there's obviously everybody is reading into what he posted, right? It's, it's a pretty generic Instagram, but we know how social media is. We know how uh, the speculation is and it's the goat. So there's going to be a lot of conversation around where he ends up. So guys, let's start off with Matt rule, getting the head coaching job in Carolina. Matt rule has been linked to nearly all of the NFL coaching vacancies in this off season um, I think the inter- most interesting part here is that we all kind of have some insight into the ownership team because of Jake's relationships. And we talked about the fact that this ownership team wants to kind of make a statement. They want to make it known that this is a new regime. Uh, he's got a lot of money. He's not, affl- not afraid to throw it around as is indicated by this obvious, uh, <laughs> the obvious deal that happened with Matt rule. Uh, so Jake, I want your just your initial reactions to the contract and, and, and this hire in Carolina. I'm going to start with David Tepper, who you guys know I'm a big fan of. I mean, world-renowned hedge fund manager from Wall Street. Brass balls, apparently have a bull hanging behind his desk because he's, he's that bullish. He went out and got his guy. He didn't care what it took. That Matt Rule was his guy. It's what he wanted to do. He went down there and Matt said, I want you to meet my wife. He went down, stayed at their house, took his time, went back and said, you take your time and let me know. And you could see in the excitement when, when Matt Rule called him and said, I'm taking the job, how excited he was. He didn't care about the money. He had to pay a $6 million buyout to Baylor, a $2.5 million signing bonus, which I can tell you is very rare, and a seven-year deal for $62 million plus incentives that could be up over $70, $75 million, which is also very rare. Uh, it's not just the base seven-year, $62 million deal. John Lynch and, Mike, and Kyle Shanahan got six-year deals, which was rare at the time. The other big thing for Rule is, and why he didn't go to the Giants or didn't even take the Cleveland job, is he wanted a sports science program. My dad's implemented one in Arizona, and with the Bucks, there's, there's a probably eight or ten teams that really are implementing not only the GPS and the shoulder pads and how far and fast the guys are running at practice, but lactic acid levels and all this stuff, and they're taking it to a really, really high level. And Matt Rule is one of the innovators of that. He did it at Temple and did a hell of a job at Temple before he went and took over the Baylor mess and turned that around. Uh, I love the hire. I think it's awesome. I I like Matt Rule. I met him at the Combine last year. I was very impressed with him. Uh, Has had NFL coaching experience 2012 with the Giants, Uh, but he just did not have a job leading programs. Temple's not the easiest place in the world to win, and he did a hell of a job there. And then he turned around that debacle Baylor mess to go from 11 losses to 11 wins. It just points to leadership. And and Tepper was apparently impressed in the interview, and I love that Tepper went and got his guy, and I love that Matt Rule – stuck to his guns and said, this is what it's going to take to get me. Yeah. Those are the two things you really like to see a somebody that has at least some NFL coaching experience in the ranks because he at least he knows what he's walking into and someone that is able to turn a program around as quickly as he has, because the reality is, is it takes more than one or two recruiting classes to turn a program around. So there is a lot of coaching adjustments that are made to go from 11 losses to 11 wins in two seasons. Like just there is absolutely tremendous difference there. Uh, So again, I think it's a really strong hire. I think we're looking at possibly a significant length of a rebuild here in Carolina. They might tear a few things down uh, more than some of these other places. We're not again. You see NFL, you only get so many years, regardless. But uh, they have to figure out the quarterback situation. They have to figure out a few other things. They're, they have they have a wide receiver one they can trust. They have a, a running back one they can trust. Uh, they have a star linebacker that's aging, uh, but otherwise they have a lot of other pieces that they need to fix at the, at the premier skill positions. But this is a guy that can do it for them that we believe. Again, it's still a mystery. All these coaches are still a mystery until they actually get in there and start coaching. But uh, I think this is going to be a, a really strong hire for Carolina. And I, 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 if you're a Giants fan, I understand why you're disappointed. But I think you got a pretty good option as well. Well, yeah, before we jump onto that, there's a couple other things here. One of the things, Tepper apparently is wanting to build a world-class facility that blows away everybody else's building in the, in the NFL. 
in, in, in Carolina and Charlotte there. Bought the soccer team. He's all invested. And he wanted a guy that's going to have that longevity. To play devil's advocate, you're bringing a guy with a little coaching experience in the NFL. And who is the staff? We talk about that all the time. We were talking about the Lincoln Riley stuff to Dallas. I do want to see who the staff is. I think he's going to have some ties, but I think that's going to be very questionable as well Is who's calling the plays on offense. Are they trying to run a college offense where Cliff Kingsbury learned from the offensive line coach, Sean Coogler? That's not going to work. We can't run that with this offensive line split. This is what way, this is how we have to change it. Like who are those veteran NFL coaches just to play devil's attitude. I like the hire. Of but course. My question always is who is the staff around him? So how much do you guys read into the seven year length of this contract? Because one of the a things lot. Okay. Because one it's of the guaranteed. things Yeah, one of the things that Jamie brought up that I think is is really important, two points of that is one, this team is in a much different position than the Giants are, right? So I understand why Giants fans are upset. But this is a completely different situation where Matt Rule has a little more wiggle room from a confidence standpoint. Whereas if you're going into New York, they have the pieces. They have their quarterback. They've had two losing seasons in a row. Carolina has a little more wiggle room. And the fact that he's been given seven years and we don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be. Is that more? How much do you read into that, Jake? Because you said a lot before I even got it all out. So you read a lot into the fact that he's got seven years to really make this his own team and organization. Like I said, with John and Kyle, six years was unheard of. Seven is unprecedented. It it used to be seven years, four or five years ago in college was a big deal. Now those guys are getting 10. Uh, I think Tepper said, I I got my guy. And I like from Rule's point of view in a smaller market to have that time to do it his way and have the backing of ownership. And he has the contract to back it up. It's a guaranteed contract. He got two and a half million to sign his name, which is unheard of for coaching. And seven years guaranteed, plus the incentive. So if he sucks, he's still getting all that, regardless, unless he gets fired for cause, which I don't know why that would happen. The only pressure he has in a smaller market is he's following a guy that was damn successful. So if he goes a couple years, this thing takes into year three before it starts to look good and turn around. He's going to have some pressure, unlike the Giants job, which is immense pressure on Joe Judge day one. Yeah, and I think that's that's the confidence that he gets from his owner is going to play a role in that because the reality is is – Matt Rule is not going to be tasked with get the Carolina Panthers back to the playoffs next year because you know what? Them getting to the playoffs and losing a wild card weekend isn't what their owner has in mind as a successful franchise moving forward. You need to build a Super Bowl contender. And what, by giving them a seven year deal, uh, you are saying, well, I'm going to, at least you're giving the indication more than most other teams would give the indication, we are going to give you some time to get this right and make us a Super Bowl contender. So I think that heavy pressure is going to be there. In the middle of that contract, we go, okay, we gave you your time. We gave you all these resources. We expect a Super Bowl champion now. Yeah. But I don't think there's going to be a ton of pressure on him in the first couple of years other than just the normal media pressure that comes with being a head coach of an NFL team. There's always pressure. Yeah, in a small market. I mean, the only other thing close to this page is John Gruden, 10 years. And that was a, that was what I was going to ask you guys. Is but that was, that was so out of the box, that, and you understood why the Raiders kind of had to do something like that, moving and keeping the fan base together, and that's kind of the only guy that could do it. But he didn't have any pressure either because they can't fire him, right? Like John puts enough pressure on himself, but he's bulletproof for at least three or four more years. So does that? But did that coaching hire kind of influence this moving forward? Possibly. I think. I think to a certain extent. I think part of it was Tepper just say having the balls to say this is my guy, and I don't give a damn what it takes to get him. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I really loved everything he said, and I bought into it. I mean, you got to give look Matt Rule. You got to give some credit here. He. Cl- he didn't get closed by the greatest closer of all time. He closed the greatest closer of all time because he got an unprecedented deal and yeah. got everything he wants. He's going to build a new building, a sports science program, and give it. I mean, like, he closed the closer. Like, this is, I'm impressed with the interview process. It had to be pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely, it did. And look, as you're looking at this, again, I, I keep going back to this. They're they're looking to build a Super Bowl champion. And there's a lot of te- – again, they don't have a, a massive path to just be a wildcard team and lose in the first round every year. But again, that's not what they're looking for. Yeah. That's not what they're trying to do. They're not trying to do, okay, we just need to get back in the playoffs at all costs in the next two years. That's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to build a Super Bowl winner and they're going to – it looks like they're going to give him the right amount of time to do that because you do have to free up the quarterback situation. And – I understand that might be a tough pill to swallow because a lot of people are like, oh, well, they have Christian McCaffrey right now. The reality is 
you if your running back's your best player in this in this day in the NFL, it's not a good thing. You're usually no. not going to win the Super Bowl. No, it's not. It's not enough. And the longevity of running backs and how great they are is not enough in the NFL. And this division's really interesting, right? Because you look at obviously Atlanta, who was disappointing this year and is in flux to a degree. Tampa, who's potentially going to be looking at a new quarterback. Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints, who could be looking at a new quarterback. So this division moving forward could look a lot different than what we've seen in the past few years, right? Where we've consistently seen Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, Jameis Winston, like that's, and Cam Newton. That's what we've seen for a consistent time now. And this could be where Matt Ryan ends up being the only guy that's there. And we've got three new quarterbacks in a division. I mean, that's, that's going to make this division really, really interesting and make it where I'm sure ownership looks and goes, hmm, we're in a good position where there's a lot of things that are turning around in this division. And if we can set ourselves correctly, get us get ourselves on the right path, we can get there. And I, I think that this 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 is is a really exciting hire. I think Carolina for a for a small market that's not really sexy, uh, I could see why this is this is a big splash and and good on them for for getting this done. Yeah, because they so feel like they stole him from the Giants, right? Exactly. I mean, that's, that's a big that's deal. That's kind of the big thing for the Panthers. A couple other things on Tepper. He was a part owner of the Steelers. He's a Western Pennsylvania guy. So to Jamie's point, it's kind of like let's build a Super Bowl contender, or I'm not happy. And yeah. I, I wrote a $3 billion check for this team. I didn't go get 20 partners and leverage my life. He wrote a check for $3 billion. Like, here you go. It's now mine. So he's going to do it the way he wants. But that's Jamie's point. Is it's Super Bowl or bust. It's like my, my dad won two Super Bowls in Pittsburgh, right? And they lost the third to the Packers. Everybody else that ever goes gets like an AFC championship ring. They got to watch. Because they only <laughs> give rings out in Pittsburgh for freaking world championships. Like that's, that's Tepper's mindset. Just to give you a little more insight on where he's coming from. That's how he looks at it. Yeah. I think, I think the, the temper stuff is really interesting because he comes from a, a market where he, he learned from arguably the best culture in the NFL, right? Where Pittsburgh has this mentality that he's going to try and instill in a completely different market, right? Charlotte and Pittsburgh are very different places. And if he can get the world-class facilities and the nutrition science stuff and all of the, that's going to be lucrative to free agents. That's going to be the type of stuff that people are going to want to to have and be a part of. And ownership, it's, it's going to be really interesting to continue to see how he progresses as Jerry Jones-esque with, this is my team. I bought the team. I wrote a check. That, that aspect is, is got to be pretty exciting to play for. Um, the last thing here I wanted to talk to you guys about with this Matt rule hire is, you know, we've talked, we've speculated about Lincoln Riley and, and urban Meyer to a degree and other, other college coaches. And Jake, you brought it up earlier that the seven year deal was kind of something we saw in college. Is this the type of thing that we're going to see happen more often? If we get more college coaches make the jump, because one of the questions that I think was really important that we asked that I didn't see a lot of people asking was why would Lincoln Riley leave Oklahoma, right? You have a lot of money. You're getting paid more money. You got more locked up. You have an easier path. Whereas Jerry Jones might've not offered enough to get him out of college. So I think that this is potentially an example of, if we're going to lure college coaches away from that long-term stability, this might have to be what they do to get guys to jump to the NFL, Jake. It's exactly what they have to do. It's the only thing they can do. I mean, these Lincoln Riley's making $7.5 million, and he's going to get a raise to stay uh, and probably an extension on his deal now. Urban Meyer's in a little bit of a different situation because he's done a lot more than Lincoln Riley has. He's also a control freak, so he's not only coming for – the money he's coming for, I want control. I want Absolutely. to be able to control my locker room, my guys, my staff, my everything. Uh, and not, not a lot of these owners are willing to do this. I mean, we've talked about Tepper being a very bullish market hedge fund, hedge fund guy. Like that, there's not a lot of guys that are willing to throw it out there. You're still, a lot of these coaches are still making four and $5 million, which is a ton of money. But in the landscape of NFL coaches, it's not in the NFL and landscape of college coaches. I'm pretty sure that due to Purdue is making like $5 million. Yeah. Right. Like that's you're you're in the middle of the pack in the NFL coaches. So if they want to lure these guys away, yeah, that's what it's going to take. I don't see that many owners doing it. It's just it's, yeah. it's extremely risky to give a guy seven years, six million dollars who is unproven at the NFL level. Yeah. Money and term, because the reality is, is you can fail even at a big program. 
you can fail for a lot longer than you can at an NFL. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Look, if, if this same scenario happened to mm-hmm. – and I know we coach in the NFL, but I'm just putting the scenario. If the expectations for an NFL team were equal to what the expectations have been at Michigan, yeah. Har- Jim Harbaugh would have been fired two years ago. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. So the, the prospect of job security, guaranteed money, full control of your roster, you get to play, you get to play king. Yeah. Uh, all of that thing is going to be very difficult. So the only thing that you're going to be able to lure them away is is, oh, is taking away. Look, you can't you, even if you give them control, it's still not going to be. No, like No, it's not the same. But what you definitely can't not do, in Jerry World. No, but you can take away the. Well, they're just going to turn around and fire me in two years if I don't win, and then I'm going to be SOL. Yeah, like you could take that element away at least get, at least money wise. Technically, they can do whatever they want. They'll still have to pay you, but. You know, you take that element away, you have a better chance of luring some of these guys away. Yeah, for example, most of these deals, like like McCarthy's, are four-year deal with a club option for the fifth. That is a standard NFL head coaching deal. So to give seven, it, that number, that's a big number. That number puts him in the top three or four. Yeah. And no, in Carolina, it's not like he's living in New York on that. Like, that's what I, yeah, that that's why it's a big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why it's the incentives deal. and the signing bonus, a $2.5 million signing bonus for a coach? Plus, they paid the six million dollar buyout to Baylor to get him. Like, yeah. dude, that's a eight and a half million dollars before he walks on the gets on the plane to go to Charlotte. Yeah, that's why I'm not surprised that New York said, "Yeah, no thanks, we're good." Right? Like, I'm I'm not surprised. It's the Giants, right? Like, they're looking at it and they're going, "We're the New York Giants," right? And I, I get that to a degree, right? And that's and that's why it's a good transition here for us to talk about their new head coach. They, they were interested in Matt Rule. We obviously talked about it. Matt Rule gave them the opportunity to match that contract, to which they said, no, thank you, and made a different hire. They went in the direction of Joe Judge, who is their new head coach, former New England Patriots, special teams and wide receiver coach. He's been there since 2012. Uh, as Jake said before we were on the podcast, he's got a lot. He, he's, he's won a lot. He's been a part of a lot of winning. Um, and I think there's a misunderstanding of who Joe Judge is. So, Jake, please enlighten the people listening to this podcast about Joe Judge and and his acumen and and what he brings to the table as a head coach in the NFL. First and foremost, I'm proud to call him a friend. He's a great freaking dude. I've known him a long time. He's GA'd at Mississippi State after he played there. He GA'd for Amos Jones, uh, who's on my dad's staff now when he was at Mississippi State. Then he went to Alabama with, with Nick Saban and cut his teeth on the special teams there, won two national championships there before he went up to Belichick, and he got to Belichick through Saban became an assistant special teams coordinator, won three Super Bowls with the Patriots. And a lot like Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, became a position coach and the special teams coordinator. Harbaugh went to defense for a year before he got the Baltimore job in Philly. Same thing Joe did did here. And Belichick really did that for him to make him more of a coaching candidate because Bill loved him. I heard a great point yesterday. I forget who it was. It was on ESPN. They're talking about I was watching the game and, and Belichick was talking to somebody in every major situation of the game. And it was Joe Judge. He's not only the special teams guy, but the only other guy on a team that talks to the team, the entire team, other than the head coach of the special teams coordinator. And he didn't go into, into New York and them go, okay, we didn't get Matt Rule, let's hire this dude. He wowed them. He dropped them with a right hook with his interview. His attention to detail, his organizational skills, like they, he blew them away to the point where when Matt Rule said, I'm going to Carolina, they weren't, he's not leaving the building. And they'd interviewed other guys. Right, they had other guys on the docket. They had other other guys they talked to. They were blown away. It's out of the box, but don't call this dude a receiver coach. He's been a special teams coordinator in Bill Belichick's right hand and Nick Saban's right hand before that on special teams for a long time. Walks in with five rings. That alone yeah. adds credibility. It's it's out of the box because it's the Giants. There's a giant spotlight coming on this. I want Jamie to touch on this as a New York guy that this hits because a lot of people like I had to Google Joe judge. I probably would have too, but I've known him a long time. Yeah. And look, the reality is in New York, whether you're a fan, whether you're part of the media, you want the big name, you want the of big course. splash. Like you want the, you know, bring you want to win the press conference, you know, bring yeah. breaks. Yeah. You, you want to exactly you want to win the press conference. The problem is, is the one thing the giants haven't done recently is win a lot of football games. And I think that's the most important thing here. And I, I, you know, we've talked about this on the show a lot. I like these, these, these gems that are hidden. The guys that don't have the sexy names, haven't been out there for four or five years, aren't coaching a big college program, but have just been grinding in the NFL successfully for many years and, and learning under elite head coaches and finally going to get their opportunity. Every head coaching hire for their first time being a head coach 
is a risk. Period. End of story. Yep. Whether it's yep. whether it's who it doesn't matter whether it's the, the sexiest candidate, whether it's anybody else. The first time you hire a coach for their first time being a head coach, it's a risk. So what you try to do to mitigate that risk is find somebody that's been around and has helped cultivate a winning culture and has won. Mm-hmm. Because if there's anybody in that locker room, especially if you expect Eli Manning to be out the door, so you're not going to have a lot of people in that locker room that remember winning anything. To be able to walk in that room and being able to say, okay, with all those rings on your fingers and saying, okay, I know how to win. Do any of you? And if there's any questions about whether or not that this – whether I'm right for the job or anything else, and I guarantee you inside NFL circles, as Jake said, Joe Judge has so much more respect than what the casual observer – for obvious reasons. I don't expect everybody to – I don't know Joe Judge that well before about a few months ago when his name started to pop up again. But that doesn't mean it's a bad hire. And to characterize, I've seen this all over. I've seen this from actual legitimate media outlets of, oh, well, the Patriots wide receivers didn't play well this year. Yeah. So this is a terrible hire. It just is. Just it, it's his fault he had nobody in that room? That's or, exactly or that they weren't healthy or that Antonio Brown's a psychopath that they cut or that Josh Gordon couldn't keep his shit together and he got cut? How is that the receiver coach's fault? Yeah. Also, by the way, Patriots special teams has been elite for how many years? Again, you brought up John Harbaugh. That's what that reminds me of. Yeah. That's- it's the exact same thing. Look, guys, Keith Armstrong, the special teams coordinator that was in Atlanta for a long time, is now in Tampa, was a finalist for the Arizona Cardinals job a couple years ago. And a couple other names come to mind when you're talking about wowing people in interviews. Mike Tomlin would not have gotten the Pittsburgh Steelers job at 34 over Russ Grimm and Ken Wisenhunt if he didn't blow the Rooney's socks off in his yeah. interview. Brian Flores in Arizona almost got the job, was almost a finalist over Wilkes and Keith Armstrong and James Betcher because he blew their socks off and then got the Giants job, the Dolphins job the next year. Like, it does happen that somebody walks in and wows you to the point where, oh, my God, this is our guy. It cannot go without noting either that Dave Gettleman's been in the league a long time, has deep ties. Now, well, Joe Judge is a 38-year-old guy, and I do question what staff he's going to be able to bring. Joe is a dude that's at every conference. He's at the Senior Bowl. He's at the Combine. He's networking. He learned it from old school guys that you got to go do this to have a job. Well, now he's got to go hire those guys he's been networking with for all these years. But Dave Gettleman can help. And I really think they're going to be tied at the hip. I think it's going to be a very good marriage when you have an old veteran GM and a guy that wowed him as a young, up-and-coming coach to put those guys together. And I promise you this, his press conference would be better than Adam Gase's was. Well, what are, what are what are some of the things, Jake? Since you do know him well, that you know it's been talked about that he is attention to detail, very oriented, uh, which is a Belichick thing, right? Not surprising that there's organizational skills and very detail oriented, and all those things. Really, the Saban and Belichick tree, because that that in and of itself, how many guys are going to say they worked with both of those guys, right? Arguably, the greatest college football coach and greatest NFL coach. I mean, that's that in and of itself is very impressive. But what are some of the things you think are impressed that New York fans should should know about Joe Judge? Because this is the coach that people, the casual fan, know the least about. And I would love to kind of give some insight into into who he is and what fans can expect from him. It, you know, some of it's very simple stuff, but it's extremely important stuff that goes highly overlooked. Off-season schedule practice schedule during the week, travel schedule when we're playing on the West Coast, little stuff like that. He is a very detail-oriented guy where nothing, every I is dotted, every T is crossed. It's who he is. But he also, he's fine with pulling up a chair and sitting with the old heads and listening and learning and asking questions and soaking up everything he can soak up. He's a ball coach. And I say that with all the honor that it deserves because not everybody that's coaching is a ball coach. Joe is a ball coach. He can coach every position. He knows every position. He knows what every what he expects from every guy, uh, and the the details of running an organization. Not to throw anybody under the bus, but there were people that were hired last year that brought in coordinators that were former head coaches that they had to ask, "How did you run your schedule?" They'd never done it at this level. They don't know how to do it. That stuff goes overlooked. It is vitally important for a head coach, by the way, who's not calling plays. I love this this hardball model. I wish more people would do it. Dave Taub. Uh, a bunch of other major big-time special teams coaches have interviewed but never got one of these jobs other than Harbaugh to have a coordinator on both sides, to manage the team, to manage the coaches, to manage the schedule, to manage the details. That's what Joe Judge is going to do and just bring leadership from the top. I love that. That's exactly who he is. He will command the room. The details will be completely done. There will be no questions on how to do it. And he's done it from Belichick and Saban. Like, who are you going to get better detail-oriented guys from than that? Yeah, no, it's a it's a very good point. And I'm I'm really excited about both coaching hires. And I think it's going to be really interesting for us as we 
watch the staffs fill out and we go team by team and we break down in the off season, kind of how these teams look, it's going to look, we like the coaches. We like the hires initially a lot of how we're going to feel and the confidence level we're going to have is going to change between now and when we get to a month and a half from now when the staff fills out. Well, speaking of staffs, I think we need to talk about Dallas a little bit because yes. it looks like Kellen Moore is going to stay at OC. Mike Nolan's coming in as defensive coordinator and John Fossil's coming in as a special teams coach, which I think is an extremely underrated hire. Huge uh, hire. Huge that's hire. That's a big deal for Dallas. That's a that's a pretty good staff to start, at least at the top of the coordinator level that they're putting together so far under Mike McCarthy. So, Jake, react to that because obviously those are all really, especially the John Fossil hire, a, a really underrated, more behind-the-scenes type of thing that can happen. And I think the interesting dynamic here is obviously what we talked about on Monday, which is Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy, two completely different philosophies. Maybe this, Maybe this is the key indicator that McCarthy took some time this offseason to really develop what his thoughts are on offense. And there's not, you know, a lot of people have called the way he calls plays archaic. It's not it part of the NFL anymore. So is Gruden, who was pretty dramatic. successful this year. It is, it is yeah. dramatic. It is dramatic. What it tells me is Mike's going to be the CEO. A lot like we were just talking about Joe Judge. He's going to be the leader that they want. And it's going to be his philosophy that goes throughout. And he will learn Kellen Moore's offense, and he will definitely have his input. Uh, but it sounds to me like he's building out a staff. The Fossil hire is phenomenal. Dallas had kicking issues like a lot of teams did this year. Nobody's better with kickers than Fossil. Fake punts. Johnny Hecker and Zerline have been spectacular with the Rams. Uh, I love the Mike Nolan hire. It's his guy. Mike, Mike was his head coach when he was the coordinator in San Francisco. When Mike was the head coach there, he was the linebacker coach and did a damn good job on that defense in, um, in New Orleans. So – He's putting his guys, but really well-respected guys together. And bringing in Fossil is, I don't even know how that happened, but that's spectacular. It's a huge loss for the Rams. Huge loss. Yeah. Wade Phillips and Fossil? That's a lot of experience to take out of that room. That's By the way, I've already said their team is getting poached. Like when free agency hits, they can't afford their guys. They're all, they can't afford Zerline. They can't afford Littleton. On and on and on. Brockers, on and on and on. They're going to lose guys. Now they lost two world-class coaches yeah it's not not a good sign if you're a a Rams fan specifically because what we've talked about that Sean McVay's already got a lot of pressure on him to re to to look and say okay everybody adjusted now I got to readjust it's gonna be real tough because for a long time he was able to look over at the other side and know that he didn't have to worry about special teams or defense all he had to worry about was the offense and the hires that end up there it's going to be really hard to replace both those guys we just talked it's about. It's not only the on-the-field stuff. It's what those guys know, what yes. their experience level. I mean, of course. It, was, it, it eased Sean McVay's transition into being a head coach uh, incredibly. And that's not taking anything away from Sean McVay. But a head coach, coach play caller, right? Yeah. Like, but all the other things that Jake just talked about but aren't, that, that you don't see on game day, practice games, other things. Having people with head coaching experience that have been in the league for decades and decades and decades – to help you with work through that as a young first-time head coach allowed Sean McVay to install that offensive system and spend a little bit more time working on that, that safety net's gone. Now, McVay's got more experience now than he did when he walked in on day one, obviously, but those are just those are two big losses. Yeah, I find yeah, it hard to believe they're going to be able to replace those guys, Jake. I, I can't imagine they're going to be able to replace John Fossil and Wade Phillips at that high level. I know the defense has been a little bit of a disappointment, but – from a from a special teams standpoint, their special teams has been really good for a really long time, and we talked about it. Zerline might not end up being in 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 LA next year because they can't afford to keep everybody. So that's going to be that's one of the more interesting teams to me to pay attention to in the offseason because there is so many question marks about that team, and they can't address a lot of it in the draft. So they're going to have to fix things from a coaching perspective and from and from adjustments and from they're going to have to move some guys around, get creative in free agency. It's it's going to be something we pay really, really close attention to. Yeah, they lost to. their running back coach too, which is worth pointing out. So it's another guy that's been there, that's been with that running back group with Gurley. He's gone. So look, the big thing, to Jamie's point, is not only is he a young head coach, he's a young head coach play caller. He's the offensive coordinator. He didn't have to worry about the other two sides – of the, at all, like nothing. He didn't have to sit in on meetings. He didn't have to check on anything because he knew it was handled to the umph degree. By the way, the Rams' defense was the ninth most efficient defense in the NFL, up from 14th the year before that. 
Yeah. So that's why I, I, I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be, they got a lot of question marks, man. A lot of question marks. I mean, go back to the Kellen Moore thing. They led the NFL on offense. Yeah. Most of those pieces are going to be back. Like I like the fact that McCarthy was willing to listen to Jerry Jones and, and, and keeping him. Because by do. all accounts, he's a great young dude in the locker room, coach, a lot like Joe Judge, a guy that will sit around with the old heads, soak it up, ask questions, wants to get better, has no problem with Mike McCarthy's input. It's not like it's my way or the highway. I'm going to run it this way. Um, good, but bright young star. So I love the fact that he's willing to keep him. And the jury was like, hey, look, I, I'd like to do this if it works for you. I think that's brilliant. I want to get you guys' thoughts on this because this has been talked about a lot. Do you feel like the NFL should make a rule about coaching hires not being announced during the, or not being allowed to hire a coach during the playoffs? Because we've seen a lot of talk. Impossible. Yeah, I, I know, but I, there's a lot of talk on about like Eric Bieniemy still not getting a job, and some of these other coaches that are still coaching right now having a much harder time getting these roles because teams a want to get their guy before the other team gets their guy, and b want to start hiring these assistant coaches. It's impossible because nobody's going to wait that long. It was a detriment for my dad being at the Steelers for a long time and going to the playoffs and going deep every year when you would have had a chance to do it then. Uh, you couldn't interview. They've changed the rules now that you can interview on Wild Card Weekend if you have a bye. So, yes, Eric Bieniemy's had a bunch of interviews, and he's a hot young candidate, and he's a Rooney Rule guy. But he's also one of the, like, what, the fourth or fifth Andy Reid disciple? They've all been pretty successful. But he's not quite there yet. It takes you don't just go interview one year and then get a job the next year. These guys went and got their these owners went and got their guys. Like I I see that all of a sudden we have a Rooney Rule issue because Joe Judge got the Giants job and Eric Bieniemy hasn't gotten a job. You can't compare those two things. By the way, Eric Bieniemy's interviews must not be that impressive if he's not getting hired. I gave you two examples of Brian Flores and Mike Tomlin who knocked the freaking socks off the owners and got jobs. There's yeah. a lot of guys, Chris Richard's another, they've interviewed a ton and they don't get jobs. I can't sit here and say it's because of, because of the color of their skin. They're good yeah. coaches, but their interviews, there must be something lacking that somebody else does better that they go hire that. I, I don't think saying we're going to wait till after the Super Bowl is a, anywhere a viable option because it's not going to happen. These owners and these GMs are not going to sit there and wait. Well, all these, by the way, the college thing has moved up so much. So going back to our college point with coaches, yeah. that early signing day, you look at the coaching guy, they fire their dude. They got a new coach in three or four days. It doesn't mm-hmm. take two or three weeks because this early signing thing, they got to hire their, they got search firms in college, which are starting to get to the NFL. And they got, all right, here's my three guys from the search firm. We're paying the search firm a couple hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is to have my three best candidates. We sit down in Atlanta or wherever it is. We interview them. We hire one. And then they, they hire a staff and our, we don't lose recruits. That, that moving up into early December has really killed the process from NFL guys going back to college and vice versa. So, no, you can't extend it even farther and go out past the playoffs. It makes absolutely no sense at all. Nobody's going to wait. They're going to cheat. I've seen it too, Jamie, and, and I'm with Jake. I just I think they're, it's unrealistic to think that, that that's possible when – you're talking about three fourths of the league is out and looking and ready. And there's a small percentage of the league. There's 10 teams that are, that are in it and and going after it. And a lot of times there's stability, obviously up at that top, but, and I understand in this case, it's Eric the My thing is, I truly believe if, if New York or Carolina or wherever, if they really wanted Eric the they would wait for him. Right. Like that, that's that's what would happen if they really, really want somebody and they have an opportunity to interview the guy and the guy goes in there and just nails the interview. They're going to wait for him. They're yeah. going to figure it out. They're going to wait for their guy. And in this case, you know, they've been wowed by other guys. And it seems like these were their guys from the beginning anyway. So I, I can't imagine that Shanahan, been, San Francisco. Yes, it's, it's just not going to – I just can't imagine that it happens. Paige, I, I wanna, hang on, Jay. I want to I touch on this too because people are going to are gonna kill me for bringing this up, being a white guy talking about this. It's not like I don't have any experience with my dad being the first head coach to have two black coordinators and the first now to have three black coordinators, a black assistant head coach, and two females on his staff. I am all for this. The issue is not these guys not getting jobs. It's not enough of them being coordinators. You have Byron Leffich and Eric Benemy. Both are going to be damn good head coaches. They're both are damn qualified. There's not enough coordinators going back. The Rooney rule is kind of archaic itself. That You have to interview a minority for your head coaching job before you can hire somebody else. Well, that's great. You get guys in the door, but we're not really helping them prepare. There's guys that are getting jobs that they're not ready for, and then they're getting fired, which knocks the whole thing down, right? 
how many guys have gotten jobs? They were pushed to get jobs. They were the, the top of the minority candidate. They got the job and they weren't ready for it. They got fired because they got a bad job or hired a bad staff or whatever it was. That's a detriment to the entire process. The process goes much deeper. You have a ton of position coaches that are now being afforded the opportunity to be coordinators. My dad pushes all those guys. He pushes them out the door. He wants them to go be head coaches. Go be coordinators somewhere else. Further your career, that's what we're here for as mentors. But you have a process from the NFL down, and I'm talking about Park Avenue down, that's broken. So, like, extending the search out past the Super Bowl does nothing. It's, it, it does nothing to the process. But there's also a numbers game too. Like we're, we're talking about five exactly. or six. Exactly. We're talking about 32 of these, period. Well, and there's also like if, if we if we sat down midseason and went over all of the hot coordinator candidates and included college head coaches that could come over, we're talking 15, 16, 17 names yeah, there's not enough. for six jobs. Yeah. And the reality is, is that, yeah, you, you, the numbers don't match up there. And Jake's point's perfectly correct. The issue isn't just how, how many black head coaches can you hire. It's are you hiring minorities – that are qualified throughout the process in coordinator positions, in position coach positions. Those that because then you'll start to see a more natural progression that like that Jake is talking about where you're just trying to fix the problem at the top and ignoring everything else underneath. Of course. And that's making the problem worse. Of course. It's it doesn't it doesn't make any sense, right? There's it's the the same it's why I'm glad Jake brought it up because of the female diversity that exists on, on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers staff and the, and the, the minority uh, diversity that exists on his staff. And it's a conversation that I've had with Bruce very candidly, as you know, Bruce is like that all the time and about how that's the only way to change this, that the only way that there's going to be more women, more diversity, more, more black people, more Hispanic people coaching is if they get more opportunities at the beginning, because nobody's making that jump from a low level coordinator guy who doesn't have any, no offensive coordinator, but no defensive court. And they're going straight to head coaching. It doesn't happen that because often. What does it come down to in the end page? You get Experience. an opportunity. You have to wow somebody. Yes, you have to expect. You, you have, have to, to go blow somebody's socks off to do it. Yep. Period. End of story. If you get the opportunity, Eric Bieniemy's interviewed like what five, five, six times last year. Yeah, he's interviewed quite That's a bit. That's an opportunity. Don't tell yep. me you haven't had the opportunity. Knock their socks off. I think he's a damn good coach. I think he'd make a hell of a head coach. But to Jamie's point, it's a numbers game, and there's other people at the end of the day that either were more qualified or better interviews or whatever it was. Extending this out past the Super Bowl does nothing to help this process. I'm not, no, I'm not and, sure and what the answer is other than more staffs like my dad's that are trying to be progressive, yeah. hire guys in positions and women in positions and help them further their careers. Yeah, give them more opportunities earlier on to gain the experience that it requires to be able to go into an interview and wow somebody. Because there's a reason that Joe Judge walked in there and wowed them. You want to know why? He's a lot of experience. A lot of experience that he spent under coaches being a sponge, learning from Nick Saban, learning from Bill Belichick, learning the detail it requires to be an NFL coach. And there are only 32 of these guys. There's not not an infinite amount. It's not. By the way, it helps a ton when somebody calls Nick Saban and Bill Belichick and you get a ringing endorsement. There ain't a whole lot of dudes that's getting a ringing endorsement from both and will sit on the phone with you and tell you how great they are, right? Because Bill Damsher don't want to lose him. If Bill loses him and Bill loses McDaniels and he lost Flores last year. It's a lot. That's a lot. Rabel the year before, Matt Patricia. I mean, the entirety. Well, you can get Patricia back in a year. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, listen, that's a lot. In two in two years, that's eight coaches, basically, yeah. we just named off. Six, seven coaches. I mean, that's, that's a lot of coaches that have left that system, left being a part of there. Some of them having great success. Some of them not. That's a lot to lose. You, you, and and like as Jake pointed out, there's been a lot of it was ESPN that played it. And I've seen it a bunch on social media. If you watch that playoff game, Belichick is talking to Joe Judge the entirety of the playoff game, All, like the whole game. Because he's it's not just a special teams coach. He's the situational specialist. Every staff has somebody that knows the rules, the clock management. All that kind of stuff in and out, right? And Joe's that detail-oriented guy, the special teams coordinator that knows all that. So Bill's going to go to him in every situation. That's that's vital to yep. being a head coach. Your first look, it's risky. I'm not going to say it's not risky. Of every, but to Jamie's point, every coaching hire is risky. Of course, you're, you're talking about a guy when it comes to the details and the game management, all that stuff. Has been around two of the best. 
and they leaned on him. I, I, I like that part. All right. The last, the last coaching vacancy that exists is the Cleveland Browns. They don't have a head coach yet. We're still waiting to see what they're going to do. Uh, lots of conversation around Josh McDaniels being the guy potentially there. Uh, recent report about Kevin Stefanski maybe and, uh, being a guy. And Jim Schwartz is going to – so the, those three guys, they confirmed today they're going to interview. Uh, they're going to think they're going to go Schwartz, uh, Stefanski, McDaniels in that order. And they're going to – they said they're going to complete all of the interviews before making a decision. Which is a, which is a good decision and I think – Except is, for the fact that your owner went on TV and said we're only looking at head coach coaching candidates with head coaching experience and a long lineage of NFL ties. Yeah. Who is that? uh, Yeah. McDaniels? Uh, McDaniels is the only one that's been a head coach. Yeah. They're not a very successful one. I think the two guys he's talking about already got jobs. That's yeah. I think that's, I think he's talking about Ron Rivera and Mike Schwartz Schwartz wasn't either. So yeah. I mean, it was, but it wasn't very successful. I mean, like, yeah, it, wasn't, it didn't go well. Yeah, the two yeah, guys he's talking about are Ron and Schwartz just got in the picture in the last couple of days. Yeah, I mean, those guys are gone, and McCarthy said no, and then he said yes. Sometime I'm not going to. Once he got rid of Dorsey, it's a dumpster fire. It, it all points to McDaniel's if he has the balls to finally pull the trigger and go. And it sounds mm-hmm. like it's going to be a, an all Cleveland special with a GM and McDaniel's and a personnel guy, and they're all they all know each other and they're all from Cleveland, the Kumbaya, whatever. That's what it's. That's what it all sounds like. It's it's pointing to. But as long as they Stavansky figure out, he was second to Freddie last year. They they loved him and they went with Freddie. Well, they got to figure out who reports to who in the front office first. Yeah. Whether is it Paul DePodesta making these calls? Like who's making the calls now? He apparently has Haslam's ear more than anybody else, right? Yeah. Because but, him and Dorsey butted heads and Dorsey lost. But will he have it in six months? That's right. that's well, no, because you're going to hire a head coach, and, and that if you're the head coach in Canada, if you're McDaniel's, I can see why you're a little trepidatious here, right? Like, uh, I'm not trying to get fired in two years and you're bringing in my GM. I want – Matt Rule just got this. Like, yeah, there's – we'll And Ron Rivera essentially gets to pick his GM. That's why they're not going to hire one until after the draft. Like, yeah. Which means Ron Rivera is pretty much the GM. That's He got yeah. basically total control. But that's pretty much what they're saying in Cleveland. We're going to hire the head coach and he's going to have a say in the GM. That's why it points to McDaniels. So how lucrative is this job now, guys? Because I think we've gone back and forth on like you look at the the Dallas job and you know the upside and you know the downside of Jerry, but you also look at the roster. There's still a lot of talent in Cleveland, but I think that this this has become more of a mess as this offseason has progressed. It started off as a mess, obviously, with all the expectations. They fire Freddie. Freddie's upset because Freddie thought he had the backing of the organization. We thought he was going to stay. Then he's gone. Then we think the GM's staying. Then Dorsey's gone. And now we're at a position where they're the lone soldier looking around. Everybody else has got their guy. And they're waiting on McDaniels, who might not even choose them. Or right? might choose them and change his mind. Oh, yeah, you ought to be worried about that. I would be. Uh, How could you not? Look, I don't know. Look, the roster's good. If you get control of the staff, and Dorsey's one of those guys that wants to help with the staff, which is not a good thing. No. If you are the head coach and you have a tie to the GM and you have control of your staff, you have control of the football operations for the most part. Now, you have a meddling owner and the stuff that none of us know, and we could probably ask Freddie about this. What's going on behind the scenes? What are you? What's coming down from upstairs that you have to do that does not? What you don't want to do? And how often does that happen? Because that handcuffs you as a coach. If you have ties to the GM and you have your staff and you have, I'm running the show. You have a damn good roster. You can go win games. If you're getting uh, Freddie Kitchens or you're getting Haslam calling down saying uh, Baker's bench this week, we're going with whoever the backup is. That if you want to keep your job, you have to do that. That's the owner. But yeah. That kind of stuff kills you as a coach, right? I mean, I'm not saying that's an extreme example, but stuff like that happens with a lot of these organizations. Jerry, Schneider, Haslam, you've seen it before. I think Tepper may be that way. It'll be interesting to see how much he wants to you know, push and be involved. Uh, that kills you. And if I'm the head coach looking at this job, I want to know all that. I'm going to ask all that. And I want a big contract and I want a long contract because you've been – you got a track record of firing people every two years. Well, and that's the thing to me because I think you're looking at this job two different ways. From a pure talent roster standpoint, you're in a position on paper to have a an immediate turnaround, to immediately be a playoff team. You have a quarterback that just went with the number one overall pick that two years ago thought was going to be your franchise guy. He fixes a few things this offseason, changes his attitude a little bit, gets back, works hard, can still be that guy for you. Which again, walking in with 
it, you know, any sort of quarterback clarity is a tremendous plus. Yeah, for, for quarterback, coming back. running back, wide receiver, all the talent that exists yes. in that room. I mean, that's that's high upside. It's also high drama. But I'm not even worried about the drama so much. First, I mean, that, I'm worried about it, but that's like down well, here. Yeah, I'm worried about the front office drama. The Jays, yeah, talking about. so and, much. Well, I'm doing head coach. I'm asking the front office too. Hey, when it comes to drama, not all that. I'm telling no. you right now. If Freddie Kitchens wanted to send Jarvis, Lock- Jarvis Landry to the locker room when he yelled at him in Arizona, and, but he knows he can't because the owner is going to backlash him later behind closed doors, then you cut the balls off the head coach right there. Yeah. I'm asking that question, too. If I got drama and I'm benching him or sending his ass home, do I have your back? Do you have my back? Am I allowed to do that? I'm asking all these questions about the head coach because you're exactly right. It's not just – front office drama it's head it's coaching drama it's player drama and how am i as the leader of this whole ship supposed to handle this how am i allowed to handle this yeah and look and i'm also making three phone calls outside the organization i'm calling freddie kitchens i'm calling q jackson and i'm calling pat Shermer. yeah i want to know i'm gonna call Todd haley and greg williams while i'm at it (laughs) if you're gonna do that i'd I'd call them all what what is your what is your day-to-day like what was it like from above like, what, yeah. what, what am I walking myself into? And by the way, yeah. these guys all know each other. So, like, it's not, it's, not, it's not hard to do that and find out. And I, I would be worried if I'm those guys. That's why it goes back to, can a guy like Eric Bieniemy who wants to be a head coach, can he get – yeah, that could end up happening here still because these other guys might go, eh, I am not messing with this. And a guy that wants to be a head coach and doesn't care says, hell, yeah, I'll mess with it. I'll deal with it. Yeah. I, I, if I was a – if I was the – the head coaching candidate here, Jamie made the exact point. I would walk in with a lot of knowledge of what didn't work in the past and go, okay, this is what you've been doing. Has it worked? Cause I can tell you that. Yeah, but you better be real careful with that. You better have a contract on the table. If you're going to have the balls to yeah. go on there and say that, cause you, you ain't getting the job at that point. We just talked about, there's only 32 of them. And there's only one left. Yeah. 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 You want to be a head I, coach. <laughs> you, you better be real careful how you pose that question to a guy like Haslam. That's the thing, too. If you're ever anybody but McDaniels, McDaniels is going to get interviews until that's exactly until right. The end if of I'm time. McDaniels, I, I you have a little bit more leverage until and unless he fails. The is is he though? Like the thing, he failed as a head coach. He did what he did in Indy. He went back sooner or later. He's still going to get interviews, but I don't think he's the top candidate anymore in a lot of these. I think he has to go interview and be impressive now. In the front, longer this goes. Huh? Yeah. It also depends on what, what is he – what is Robert Kraft telling him? Mm-hmm. Because if, if yeah. he's going like, okay, if you get another job in the meantime, you're fine. But if you're still here when, when Bill retires, the job's yours, then I get why he's being extra cautious with where he goes. For sure. Yeah, I I, I can imagine, especially I, – I thought he would not leave and go to – just stay in the AFC just for, just for the reasons you just described. But it's – I've questioned why McDaniels has been the exciting candidate for a while, specifically this year after everything that happened in Indianapolis. But I think there's always that allure of pretty much the entirety of the league gets excited about New England Patriots disciples. They just do. They, every year there's somebody in New England. I mean, Joe Judge just got a job. I named off Matt Patricia, Mike Vrabel. There's a lot of guys that are in Our the defensive guys, though. Yeah, a lot of a lot of guys that are in the league that are are. Belichick Ian and when you look with the tree you want to pick at the top and that's Eric Bieniemy. there's a reason Andy Reid another guy who everybody likes to pick at because there's a lot of success there right so it's gonna be this this Cleveland job I think is is less attractive as the days go on like I I think it it, the 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 second they fired Dorsey, it became less attractive because now it's all of a sudden it's just like Haslam has. Maybe. Fallen. I mean, that might, have, that might have cleaned it up a little bit. Who knows? Hopefully. But. It's just, it, it seems like there's no clear cut direction. And to your point, Jake, you got Haslam coming out and doing a press conference saying one thing. Now all of a sudden it's changed. We're doing more, we're, we're, we're doing different stuff now. There's no consistency, right? And that's why the ego that is involved with a lot of these and a, a lot of these owners, right? The ones you mentioned, not a lot of success when the owner's super involved and they have big egos, not a lot of, none of those guys are winning Super Bowls. None of those guys are consistently winning because they're over-involved. And if you're, if you're Cleveland, you put the most talented roster you've had in a really long time on the field last year, and it was a disaster. So at a certain point, Haslam has to learn, like, butt out, or this is going to be what it looks like. And I, I don't know if that's going to change because 
I mean, at a certain point, these guys are who they are, right? And and I don't I don't know that yeah. it'll ever change. And look, we've talked about this on the show before, but at some point, you have to trust your own decision as an owner to yes. the people you have put in charge that you have decided you you're the owner. They're the coach. They're the GM. They're the team president. You made those decisions. Yes. So these are your guys. Yep. If you you need to make a, at some point decide that you are going to trust your own decision to put these people in position to have success. And I always go back to the George Steinbrenner stuff, where at some point he just had to. And again, I know we fired him eighteen thousand times. Yeah. But at some point <laughs> he had to let Billy Martin manage the team. He had yep. to let Joe Toy manage the team. And guess what happened? They won. Yep. And, and all the periods in between when he George Steinbrenner tried to run the team himself. It blew up in his face. You, the you, other you, aspect you, of that is Joe Torre finally had the balls to do what he wanted to do anyway and deal yeah. with George behind the scenes, closed doors, because he was having success. If yes. one of these guys will go do it the way they want to do it, regardless of what's going to – they're going to get scolded and slapped on the wrist, but they're winning, that, that slap on the wrist isn't coming anymore. And that was exactly what happened with Torre and Steinbrenner was J- Joe finally just said, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it, and I'll deal with George. Somebody's yeah. going to have to do that. Somebody's going to have to balls – and the gumption to go in there and take this job and do it that way and deal with him on the back end. But they're better win. Or their asses are gone too. Absolutely. That's why That's why I thought last year when we were uh, speculating about where different coaches were going to go, I thought the uh, Bruce Arians hire in Cleveland would have made sense because obviously he would go in there and be able to – be able to tell the ownership team, this is the way I'm going to do it. And I thought it would fit with Baker, but obviously that uh, with Freddie, I thought there might be a little aspect of that, but Freddie didn't earn enough of that to be able to have that gumption to go in and tell ownership. This is the way I'm going to be. It, it's funny. This almost feels like, I know is that this almost feels like the perfect and it not, not going to happen this time, but it, this was like 15 years ago, like the perfect Bill Parcell situation. A coach is coming in, yes. already confident, already won is not looking at this as a 10 year job is looking at this as yep. I'm going to be here for two or three, maybe four years and I'm done. And being, and like, you know what? I'm going to show you, I'm going to turn this team around. I'm going to win. I'm going to, I don't care what the owner says. And if I get fired after two or three years, cause I'm not winning, whatever. I didn't yeah. look at this as a 10 year job anyway. Yeah, yeah. Sort of would have. That would have been the situation, but they yep. didn't. And now they're still in this and Tampa's yeah. looking pretty good. Yep. And, and now there's, and now the, the, the two head coaches that we kind of, associated with that a little bit the only other guys that had that head coaching experience Mike McCarthy and Ron Rivera are no longer options right that's the that was the other like hey maybe they'll go get McCarthy McCarthy's won a Super Bowl he can walk into the room and be like listen this is my my deal and I don't blame them for taking the jobs they took because the Cleveland job looks like the least attractive job right now for a lot of reasons um and we'll see who ends up taking that job the way we're going to end today's podcast is the way we're going to end it until any of these these two guys, these two quarterbacks, until they make their decisions. Uh, I'm going to revisit this at least once a week with the guys where I am asking where Brady and Breeze are going to be playing football or if they're going to retire. So I'll start with Tom Brady in light of his Instagram post and everything that everyone's reading into that. Jamie, I'll let you go first. Where is Tom Brady playing football or is he playing football he'll next pl- year? He'll be playing in New England next year. Okay. Jake? Same. Yeah, I think he's coming back to New England. It's probably a one-year deal, and he'll say, I'm going to – it's kind of like Larry Fitzgerald in Arizona. I'm going to reevaluate after every offseason, which yep. really handcuffs the, the organization moving forward for a – you know, down the road, you know, when you're trying to set up contracts and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I think he's back in New England for another year. Yeah. All right. Drew Brees, the other quarterback. Jamie, where is Drew Brees playing football next I'm gonna year? I'm going to go boring here as well. I, thought, I still think it's going to be in New Orleans. Okay. Um, but I think it's more likely that Drew Brees – I think it's. I think if I had to pick one of the two, you said you know, gun to my head, one of these two QBs is not playing next year, or is playing somewhere else. I think it's more likely to be Breeze, but I think they both go back for one more year. All right, Jamie. I know Drew wants to. I think Drew is playing in New Orleans next year. I agree with Jamie. If one of them is going to be somewhere else, it's Drew. But I could see enough people looking at tape going, Drew doesn't have a lot left, and yeah. they, they can't franchise Teddy Bridgewater. I think Taysom Hill has a bigger role. Drew Brees comes back for another mm-hmm. year because a lot like I've said for Eli with Eli Manning for years, people underestimate the power he has in that organization, that city. Uh, I think Drew comes back there for another year. And I think Teddy Bridgewater's gone, and Taysom Hill has a bigger role, uh, potentially taking over eventually. But I think Drew is back for another year. The Teddy Bridgewater thing is interesting to me because obviously L Logic says he's going to get enough money and a good deal to probably compete, if not get the starter's job somewhere else. But he also, again, this could be lip service too, but he also came out today saying, you know, it's going to take a really special situation for me to leave New Orleans. That's another one where I go, what's promised to some of these guys yeah. behind the scenes? Is it's like, are we going to run with you and Taysom next in 2021 and beyond? Is there something that they they can promise him 
and pay him to do that. I don't know if they can work that into their cap situation, but no, you can't uh, pay your back. Your, your, your quarterback's making thirty plus million. Your backup can't make twenty. No, he's already the highest paid backup in the league at seven point two five. It's going to make it really interesting. We're definitely going to spend because of the amount of change that's going to Let's happen. Let's throw another one in there. Philip Rivers, you cannot talk about those two guys and not show Philip Rivers the respect that he deserves and not throw him in this mix. Okay. He's playing he's somewhere playing else, but he's still playing too. Yeah, I imagine he is. But the thing that the only thing that like gives me pause is this is a dude that had like a custom truck made so he could live in San Diego I know. and drive up to LA. Like, does he is want he going to go play a year somewhere else? Is he going to go play some somewhere else out that's not within reasonable distance to San Diego? I don't know. That makes sense because he could do it, and he didn't want to live in LA. And it was also an fu that to everybody that moved the San Diego Chargers to Los Angeles. Yes, True. his competitive look. It, we're talking about Philip Rivers. This shit talking this dude alive that never says shit. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the guy that talks crap, saying bull crap and whatever. His competitive fire has not gone anywhere. He's not done. He ain't going out like this either. It is worst year ever. Yeah, you, you can't I, talk I, about the other two guys without talking about Philip Rivers to another future Hall of Famer. It's a good. It's a good point, and I think the three of those guys specifically. I hope, as an NFL fan, that we're not done with with any of them. I, I would I like think they all play next. Year. I'd like to see them all go at least one more round. Um, specifically because they all ended their seasons on sour notes. Um, Drew underachieving in the playoffs, obviously the pick six for Tom and a huge disappointment of a season in, in Los Angeles. So I, I really don't think when we're talking about three of the most competitive individuals that exist in the NFL and in sports in general, I just can't imagine they're all going to go out like that. It's also another name that we should talk about. And he's 100% playing next year. But we're talking about kind of like this end of this era. Uh, and that's Ben Roethlisberger yeah. as well, of how many years does he have left? And maybe is next year his last year? If we start talking about we're going to be within a two-year span, maybe, of Brady, Breeze, uh, Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, and Philip Rivers all, all retiring. retiring. Yeah. And, and yeah. I brought up the stat to you, I think, on the before the show last week, that in the AFC in particular – I said there are, see if there are only two quarterbacks in the AFC, not named Brothersberger, Brady, or Manning, that have been to the Super Bowl since 2001. And that's Joe Flacco and Rich Gannon. Yeah. That's yeah. the list. That's yeah. wild. It's the, end of, it's the end of an amazing era of, of quarterbacking from that, that the handful of guys. Yeah. yeah. It's, I hope we see more of Ben, obviously. Uh, I think we will. Uh, he's the one that I think he was feeling so good, and I think obviously he's – Well, he came out and said, I, I, I'm coming back. Like, I have no plans yeah. to yeah. not. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. But how long does it last? How many more injuries yeah. do you want to sustain? Yeah, I mean, it's – but he's uh, – yeah, I definitely throw him in there too, although he said he's coming back. And I think, I think the other three want to. It's just the situation has to be right. Yeah, the situation has to be right, and I can't imagine – I think Phil's the only one to me that has a legitimate shot of playing somewhere else because I think one Drew has a lot of power in New Orleans, as does Tom in New England. Robert Kraft's already come out and say, like, we want him here, right? Like I, I just from a from a competitive standpoint, but also from they recognize that they have it pretty damn good where they are. It's gonna be really tough for either Drew Brees or Tom Brady to find themselves a better scenario. Right. Let's like, look at it the other way around, Paige. I, I don't know that it's – I don't know that that's all the case. They all know what they have there. The organization is now the one questioning what do we have left yeah. of them. And they're the ones that are on the hook here going, man, we got to make a really tough call. Like a really – because anybody moving on from a quarterback, it changes the dynamic of everything you've done, whether they've been there two or three years or they've been there 18 it why it's not an easy thing to do, but it, to flip the script on that, the organizations have to look at it and go, what do we have left in these guys, and are we better moving forward? Well, and particularly New Orleans, who has viable options right now. New England yeah. still has to find a viable option, and they can they can go they can draft somebody, they can sign somebody. But New Orleans has options now that they're going that they're going to lose at least one of them that they're yeah. they, they're going to lose uh, to keep Drew Brees. So I get, yeah, it, it's not an easy decision. And you know, we talked about this, but how many of those guys do we think are playing in twenty twenty one? Like, I mean, that's so – how many of these guys are just one more year guys? I think all Majority three of them. them. Yeah, really. And four of them if we lump Ben in there. I think that it's, it's, it's hard for me, especially how, 
how the decline happens, right? How quickly that all happens. I mean, I, I always point to Peyton Manning as the example of sets every offensive record known to mankind the one season in, in Denver, and then they lose horribly in the Super Bowl, comes back the following season and is noodle arm Peyton Manning, and, in, and they end up winning the Super Bowl because of how great their defense was, right? But that decline from how amazing he was to how bad he was, was so fast. It, it, it yeah. happened like overnight. And that's where this was the first time with all of those guys, really, where it was on tape visible that none of them were at their highest level anymore. They were not. Drew Brees, very visible. Tom Brady, pretty visible. And Phillip Rivers, most, most so than anybody else, this year made more mistakes underthrowing his receivers. It, it it was visible that father time has come knocking for all three of those guys. Look, and the ben, competitive fire is is crazy, Paige. I mean, you go back to Joe Montana, Johnny Unitas. Course, like those guys yeah. should have never been in other jerseys for one year. I could totally see Detroit moving on for Matthew Stafford. They have the third pick. Drafting Tua who needs to sit and having Phillip Rivers come in for one year. Phillip Rivers ends yeah. his career in a Detroit Lion uniform. Cause he because he can't stop. The other part of this is these guys don't know what else to do. Like you watch Tom Brady's interviews, he's like, "What is after football?" Hell, I don't know. I never thought about it. Nothing. That's all. That's all I have. They don't know what else to do. Like I can totally see Philip Rivers being the starter quarterback in Detroit with Tua as the backup for a year, and Matthew Stafford playing for somebody else, which is another craziness, right? I also think this whole like one one team one jersey one career thing is gets so overrated sometimes. Yeah. Like like let's look in retrospect. Does anybody think of Emma Smith as anything other than a cowboy? No. Or Joe Montana as anything other than a 49er? No. Or Johnny Knight as anything other than a Colt? Yeah. Like no. Like so yeah. if if Tom Brady or Drew Brees, I mean Drew Brees already played for another team, but if Tom Brady goes and plays for another team, is anybody two years after he retires going to be like that ruined his legacy? Same like, with Brett. Cares. It's Brett Favre. Brett right. Favre went yeah. from Green Bay to a rival to Minnesota to play. He's a Green Bay Packer. He yes. goes back to Green Bay and gets. He could go back at any moment of time. He's never going to pay for anything ever. He's going to show up to the games and have a standing ovation. He's a Green Bay Packer. He's not a Minnesota Viking. I, I mean, it's like that is who those guys are, their identity, the the most of their career. If they go and play one or two years because they can't stop, to Jake's point, I won't be surprised. And and honestly, if you're if you're New England and you're Bill Belichick, you're probably looking across this the across to the West Coast going, yeah, we could have had that guy. And you and we decided we weren't going to we decided that we weren't going to yeah. move on from our 40-year-old quarterback and make a move if you recall a pretty good move in the middle of the season where they would have traded Tom Brady and got some really good draft picks and now they're going, "Eh, maybe we should have done that." But Robert Kraft said no. Yeah. I, I get it. Look, if there's any worry about that, the most accomplished rusher of all time, the most accomplished pass catcher of all time, the most accomplished quarterback of all time all played for other teams at the end of their career. It, yep. didn't, it didn't ruin their legacy. Nobody cares now. Yep. No. Like, nobody cares that Jerry Rice played for Seattle. No. Like, nobody cares. No, of course like, not. He's a 49er. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, so if, if, if Tom Brady wants to go play for somebody else, it doesn't affect his legacy one iota. No, God bless him. God in fact, it actually no, increased no, no, Peyton Manning's. It helped Peyton Manning's. Yeah, it did. It did. It really did. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys. Any parting thoughts on today's podcast? Jake, I'll let you go first. Yeah, a lot of – I mean, yesterday was nuts. It was like, boom, Matt Rule, boom, Joe Judge, and this time of year is crazy for me. So it was uh, a lot of fun to watch, and I've I've got eyes on Cleveland, see what's going on there. But it would be crazy that the season is in the second round of the playoffs and the coaches are almost hired, and we're not even to the senior bowl yet. Not even to the senior. We got one coach remaining. Uh, Could all be wrapped up by the time before we hit Super Bowl week. Uh, Could be wrapped up here in a week or two, really. Jamie, parting thoughts? Uh, just a couple things, just because we're not going to talk about the games until Friday, but a couple of injuries for the Ravens to keep an eye on. Like Mark Andrews still isn't practicing. Uh, apparently, uh, Mark Ingram suffered some tightness in his calf during practice. Remember that injury from week 16? Yeah. Uh, that would look a little scary. So kind of keep an eye on these over the next few days because that, that's going to affect – those are those are two big offensive weapons uh, that Lamar Jackson's going to need to have some success here. And I know the Ravens are huge favorites, but if they go into that game without Mark Andrews and without Mark Ingram – that's that's going to affect some things. So just something to kind of keep an eye on over the next few days until we break down all of the games in depth on Friday. Yeah, uh, my final thoughts here are the opening lines and all those games that are pretty big. I had a, a very good friend text me 
that he put money on all of the underdogs, all the big point spreads, because he's like, they're all going to move. It, it, they opened at big, big spreads, a lot of them. And I think if anything we learned from this NFL is especially this year, the parody has been incredible more so than ever before. Um, and we're looking at no Patriots in the Super Bowl this year, no Patriots in the AFC championship game. No, no Steelers in the AFC championship game to Jamie's point. The fact that since 2001, right, it's there's been three quarterbacks between Brady and and Roethlisberger and Manning and the only two other guys. We're going to get another one. It's going to be a different guy this year. It's an exciting time for the NFL. So I'm 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 pumped to break down the games on Friday. and, And I think it'll be really interesting to see if any of those underdogs can can uh, can continue their their surprise, the Vikings or or Tennessee. Jake, how can everybody follow you on social media? Jake B. Arians on Twitter. Jamie? Follow me at Jamie Eisner on Twitter. And you guys can follow me at the underscore sports page with an eye on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can check out all of our content on the draftnetwork.com. You can follow the show at TDN Fantasy underscore and at TDN Fantasy on Instagram. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.